So today we're going to start the journey into the Gospel of John. Uh, so just to let you know, the plan for our church in terms of uh, preaching is that we're going to go through the whole book of John. Uh, that's a pretty big undertaking though. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of time and we're going to have some breaks here and there. Uh, but we, we're going to start today, we're going to go through the th first three chapters uh, and then we'll have an Advent series when it comes to uh, the end of November and we'll pick up John later next year, so mid next year. John's Gospel is a fantastic book. It, it is absolutely astounding. Uh, it was written by the Apostle John, not to be confused with John the Baptist. I, I had that confused quite a long time. Uh, so this is not John the Baptist. This is the Apostle John who wrote this book. Uh, and the Bible has four Gospels, which you're probably familiar with, the four works dedicated to the life and work of Jesus and death and resurrection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is that last book in the set of four. If you've ever read John before, you'll notice that it reads very differently to the other Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as synoptic Gospels. Synoptic Gospels. Uh, that word means that they're similar, similar Gospels. Uh, so if you look at the content of the other books, they have similar stories, similar miracles, similar time frames, uh, so on and so forth. But with John's Gospel, it's a bit different. This book is highly structured. It's very rich and deep, uh, very deep in symbolism with lots of metaphor. Uh, it is deep and profound. Not to say the others aren't. <laughs> uh, but the book of John just goes fairly deep. It's got a lot of layers to it. Uh, and you immediately notice that John reads very differently from the other Gospels because as much as all four Gospels tell the story of Jesus, John doesn't include a lot that the others do. There's a lot of uh, further information about Jesus. For instance, John doesn't have parables. Um, there's no birth narrative like Matthew and Luke, no genealogies. Uh, it skips Jesus' temptation into the wilderness um, there's no transfiguration story, no Lord's Supper, no exorcisms, uh, none of those things. But there are things in John's Gospel that don't appear in the other books as well. Uh, things like interactions with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, or Lazarus being raised from the dead in John 11, and that famous wedding in Cana where Jesus turned water into wine in John 2. They're all exclusively from the book of John. Uh, Jesus knows how to turn a phrase quite well, but his sayings in John are expanded on. So sometimes we just get a short snippet from the other Gospels and John takes more time to, to give a fuller picture of what Jesus had said. Uh, it's interest, an interesting statistic. 92% of John's Gospel is unique to John's Gospel. So there's quite a lot there that is just completely unique to John. Uh, and the reason why this is the case, you might be wondering, why aren't they all the same? Uh, John wrote much later compared to the other books. And so as he does that, he, he writes with the intention of filling the gaps of what was forgotten. Uh, things that were left from other books, he wants to make sure they're included so that we don't forget. And it's very apparent when you read the book of John that he really wants to emphasize the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is fully God. So who was John? Uh, you might remember he's one of the 12 disciples, but it also seems that he was part of that inner clique. Uh, you, know, you know about the, uh, the inner three, 
the, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. He, he's, one of the, he's one of the close ones. You know how you have friendship groups where you kind of have a big friendship group and everyone's friends with each other, but then there's like an inner circle? John was a part of the inner circle. Uh, John certainly felt he had a special relationship with Jesus. Uh, anytime John refers to himself as he writes, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. I can't help but think that's probably a bit egotistical. Um, Jesus loved all the disciples. I, w- I wonder how the other disciples felt about that. Um, anyway, uh, but there, there was a special relationship between Jesus and John, though. Uh, one that I found out about as I was reading uh, and preparing for today is um, they really did have quite a special friendship bond. I, I would consider this to be like a best man bond. You know, you're, you know your best man very, very well. Uh, And I think culturally, uh, it doesn't translate well to us. I I think it's a bit weird um, how close they were, but they were very close. So for instance, if you look at John 13, uh, in verse 23, Jesus mentions to the disciples that someone's going to betray him, right? But verse 23 says, uh, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, wonder who that is, uh, was reclining at table at Jesus' side, the, the literal translation to that is that John was laying on the bosom of Jesus. So, so they're very close. Uh, I think that's weird. <laughs> I think our culture thinks that's pretty weird. Um, but I don't think it was weird culturally then. So there's an obvious uh, closeness between John and Jesus, a desire to be with each other, to, to hang out together. Uh, and at the end of John's Gospel... Uh, in John 19, when Jesus is on the cross, um, who's standing next to Jesus' mum? Mary. It's John. Uh, and, and they're watching on, and Jesus looks at them. He sees his mother and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing nearby as he's dying on the cross, and he says, Woman, behold your son. But then he says to John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. There's there's a special bond here, right? Like there's a closeness of relationship. Essentially, as Jesus is on the cross, he says, uh, Mary's your mum now. There aren't many people that you would leave your parents to, is there? So John and Jesus are quite close. Uh, and most importantly, as a close friend, um, John knew and came to believe the most astounding things about Jesus. So John um, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says this, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Most books that you find in the Bible have a purpose statement where the author really wants you to know why they're writing, and and there's John's. Uh, It's at the end of the book. He has a purpose for writing. There's no agenda that he's trying to hide. Uh, He's just telling us. Right now, the person of Jesus, his being a real man in history, he actually came, this actually happened, and he's telling you all that in that purpose statement. He's telling this story so that you would believe. He writes so that you will believe that Jesus is God and that by believing, you have life in his name, in Jesus' name. And now we know God's... God's purpose. We know God's purpose uh, is for re- is 
we know God's purpose uh, for reading John. This is God's inspired word. God himself wants us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and to have life in his name. And so by extension to that, this book is for all of us. So you might be here uh, and you might not be a Christian. This book is for you. Maybe you're sceptical of Jesus or of, or of Christians or of church or of our agenda. And so you're here to find out what, why, does Je- why is Jesus so popular? Why does he impact our world in such a way? This book is for you. If you're a teenager in the room or a young adult or a new Christian, this book is for you because it wants you to move in your maturity and have life in Jesus' name. If you're already a mature Christian or an older Christian, this book is for you so that you might believe and keep believing forever. So this book is for all of us. John wants us to see, believe, have life in and encounter Jesus the same Jesus that he knew, the same Jesus that he had a close relationship with, his best friend. He wants us to allow our hearts to let Jesus be bigger and let less important things be smaller, to reorder the loves of our hearts so that Jesus is bigger in our lives. So today, uh, we begin a journey into the first few chapters of this awesome book. We're going to look at the first five verses on who Jesus is and his supremacy. Um, Just so you know, the first 18 verses of chapter 1 are known as the prologue of John. We're going to spend the first three three weeks in the prologue. So I'm going to do verses 1 to 5. Sam's going to do a little bit next week. Uh, Sam Creek from Berwick. And Wayne Shuler from Pakenham is going to do the last bit. And then, don't worry though, we're not going to keep going that slow because <laughs> if we just kept doing five verses at a time, we'll probably be here for about 10 to 15 years. It's, it's not going to be that slow, I can assure you. We'll speed up a lot after that. So we begin today, John chapter 1, verse 1. So look at your Bibles, page 886. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John introduces Jesus by giving him a title that we find nowhere else in the Bible, and that title is Word. Uh, This word in Greek is called Logos. Uh, Why does he do this? Why does he call Jesus Logos, Word? Uh, And here's the reason. In ancient Greek philosophy, the Logos, or the Word, is known to be an impersonal force that runs the whole universe. That's what that's what the, um, the Greek philosophers believe. The Logos is an impersonal force that runs the whole world. It's just a movement that makes things happen. So John immediately uh, shows that his work is actually evangelistic. His heart is for people to believe Jesus. His heart is for people to change their minds. He wants to talk about the good news, and he's put it in a context where the readers will understand. It's a bit foreign to us, but the readers will understand. He's making a claim here. The Logos, what ancient Greek philosophers uh, would consider as an impersonal force, is actually a person. The the force that runs the universe is actually a person. Uh, John also calls Jesus the Word, though, because of the nature of the Word, Word. Uh, And it's linked to the Old Testament. So, So think about this. The Word is personified, meaning in the Old Testament, the Word of God came. 
Like when the Lord, uh, for instance, speaks to Isaiah, it's often written that the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Or, or when some of God's people faced illness and could have died, God sends his word and heals people. Um, see, when the Old Testament talks about God coming to us, it is by his word. And so word becomes the self-expression of God. It's the way that God reveals himself in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament shows if you encounter the word, you encounter God. And just think about how we know others. You know, how, how do we know other people? We know them if they talk to us through their word. If they tell us about themselves, if they reveal themselves to us. And this is what God does. He uses his word to tell us what he's like. And John says, that is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate self-expression of who God is. Jesus is the revelation of God's character. Jesus is the word. So I'm going to share um, five points on what John 1, 1 to 5 says the word is to help us understand these last five verses. Five points on who the word is. I can tell that some of you are worried already because I've been going for 15 minutes. I'm halfway, trust me. The five points are pretty quick, all right? So the first is this. Who is the Word? The Word was in the beginning. Verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. John decides to take us further back from the birth narrative that the other Gospels start with. So if you think about um, Matthew and Luke... They start with the birth story of Jesus. He goes further than that. He goes further back than the genealogies. He goes further back than the historical line of Jesus from Adam to Jesus. He goes even further back than Adam, the first man. He goes all the way back to the beginning. Uh, what is it when, like, what do you think of when you hear someone say, in the beginning? It's probably Genesis, right? It's probably Genesis 1.1. Any, any Jew who is reading John 1.1 is going to think about Genesis 1.1. Uh, they're going to say, in the beginning, oh, yes, I know this one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Except it doesn't say that, does it? It says, in the beginning was the word. Meaning, before there was creation, before there was anything, the word was. Before anything was, Jesus was. This is the, the same story of in the beginning, before creation, God was, but in the beginning, Jesus was. We need to see that at the beginning of time is the same. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, the Word. So John is actually making a huge claim here. He's calling Jesus the Word, but he's calling Jesus the fulfillment of the Old Testament because the Word was at the beginning. The Word was spoken in the Old Testament, to, to his people, and now the word is fulfilled in Jesus. So who is the word? He's in the beginning. Here's the second point. Who is the word? Uh, we would think, I think, that either the word was with God or the word was God. And if we ask John which answer is right, he says yes. He says yes. Uh, Jesus is with God. And God. God. God is God the Father, 
The Word is God the Son, but at the same time, they are distinct, but one. They are Trinity. They are, they are Father, Son, and Spirit, co-eternal, eternal, uh, co-equal, forever, all three distinct, but together of the same substance. If you haven't figured out the Trinity yet, you're not alone. I think that probably 100% of the room hasn't figured out the Trinity, so don't, don't freak out. Uh, but one God, three persons. Uh, so is it that God just appears in three different ways? No. Uh, that's a false belief that the early church uh, came up against. It was a hurdle that they had. Um, it's called modalism, where God appears in three different ways. There was a guy named Arius who, when he spoke about Jesus, he said this, there was once when Jesus was not. That started to catch fire in churches. Oh, maybe Jesus didn't exist before God created him. But this isn't true. John 1 says he was with God and was God. So the whole known church at the time came together about this issue. They had a council called the Council of Nicaea, and they decided, actually, we've read the Bible, Jesus has to be both. And, and by the way, that's where we get the words from the Nicaean Creed. Uh, it literally says these words, like, like, listen to them afresh. We believe in one Lord, so, so one, not two, one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. They thought this through very carefully. Uh, Jesus is God. He is not created from God. He's not a different being from God. They are one and the same, but they are distinct. So look again at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. That word with in verse 2 uh, a better way to describe that is toward, which is a sign of relationship. He was toward God. So John is hinting at a relationship that exists between God and Jesus before the world was made. The relationship between a father and a son. So before creation, what was happening? The father, the son, and the spirit were together in loving relationship. Since the beginning, the father, the son, and the spirit were eternally in relationship together. This relationship, um, by the way, it helps us to answer the question of who is God. Because more than God being a creator, more than God being a ruler, more than God being a friend, more than God being someone who people falsely believe needs us, the more profound answer is in eternity, he was never needy. He was, he was never needing to be the creator, actually, God is Father, Son, and Spirit who loves. He loves. Uh, Michael Reeves uh, is an author who wrote a clever little book called Delighting in the Trinity. I've, I've read this book. It's a short read. It, it's quite short, but you have to read small parts at a time uh, or else you get lost. I got lost. Uh, but it's a profound book, and in it he writes this. I, I love this quote. Before he ever created, before he ever ruled the world, before anything else, this God was a father loving his son. It's beautiful, isn't it? He was in the beginning, together, in relationship with God. The very heart of God and who he is and all has been and always will be is love. 
Father, Son, and Spirit. A life-giving, overflowing, deep, pouring out love towards each other. And if we can grasp that God is love, we can understand why Jesus came. Because he loves. The word, the revelation of God with God. So that's the, that's the second point. The third is this. Who is the word? He was always God. Uh, this is the core of what makes Christians Christians. Uh, this is the core of the gospel that, that defines Christianity from anything else. Uh, there are many religions in the world. I didn't look it up, but I know that there are many. There are many denominations of Christianity, so there must be many religions in the world. Uh, there are many cults in the world. There are many groups that would consider Jesus a nice guy. Or maybe Jesus will put him on a pedestal. He, he was a pretty good guy. Even Islam says that Jesus is the greatest prophet. But only Christians believe that Jesus is God. Jesus is the divine. And so, yeah, Arius was wrong. Jesus wasn't created. The Son is not less than the Father. He really was in the beginning with God. Here's the fourth point. Who is the Word? He created all things. I, lo I love this point. Verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Essentially, by the way, John is just repeating the same idea twice, so don't worry about the repetition. Uh, all things made through Jesus. Without Jesus, nothing was made. It's the same point. Uh, so if Jesus didn't make it, it wouldn't be there. Because none of this, like none of this, look around you, none of this, none of creation happens without Jesus. When we go to the park later today, I mean, you can even see some of this out, out the window. Look around you. Look at the people around you. Look at the trees, look at the grass, look at the plants, the dirt, the water. None of life as we know it exists without Jesus. Because the great claim of verse 3 is that Jesus wasn't just there at creation. He wasn't just in the background of the creation. He was the creator. He was the word spoken. All of life and existence owes its life to Jesus. Uh, in Psalm 147, verse 4, the psalmist says this, He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Did you know that there are approximately 200 billion trillion stars in our universe? And Jesus determined every single star. But not just that. He gives those stars names. Now, at least I found it hard to, to name three kids. Like, he knows the names of 200 billion trillion stars. Colossians 1.16, uh, For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created. By Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Revelation uh, chapter 4, verse 11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. So who is the Word? Who is Jesus? The creator of all things. And here's the final point. Who is the Word? 
He's life and light. That, that life one is really important, isn't it? Because that's going to come up all the time. These symbols of life and light are going to come up all the time in John. But particularly in John's purpose statement, he says, believe so that you can have life. This is a really important one. Who is the word? Jesus is life and light. So verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So I think that there are two layers of meaning for both of these verses we need to know. The first layer is this. John is talking about creation. He's talking about a creation layer. So before there was creation, there was life. And our life and everything we know came from the life before creation. What I mean is God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Our life, everything we know, came from the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that existed before creation, always alive, always overflowing, always there. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 26 says, this is Jesus speaking, The Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Meaning that Jesus is not a creation. He is independent of everything else. We are dependent, but Jesus is life. So again, verses 4 and 5 are showing us that in creation, when that moment happened, it wasn't because there was a needy God looking for company. God didn't just create because he was lonely. God had life that is overflowing into creation. He created because his love is overflowing into creation. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The first thing that God says from a creation point of view is, in Genesis, let there be light. That's the creation layer. The light shines in the darkness. But the second layer of meaning is a salvation layer. Remember the, the purpose of, of John writing? Uh, believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life in his name. The life he's talking about is spiritual. Not everyone has the life. Not everyone has the life that verse 4 is talking about because only in Jesus is life. And so if you have to have life, you need Jesus. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, I have come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. So life has to be abundant. And the only way is in Jesus Christ who offers life. I shine in the darkness, Jesus says, and the darkness cannot overcome me because I provide life. In the word, in the logos, in Jesus, you can have peace, joy, love, your sins forgiven, fellowship in prayer with the Holy Spirit. You can walk with him. You have an inheritance. You can be an heir with Christ. You can have a new purpose and a new meaning for your life. Because God takes over your whole self and says, I am breathing life into you. I'm giving you life in my name. Is there a better life than that? We are going to do all sorts of things, and we do indeed do all sorts of things that make us try and feel alive. So some of us take risks. Some of us change our jobs, move town, suburb, country, city. Sometimes we move into states. Uh, we go through midlife crisis. We try to feel alive by being thrill seekers. Some of us go on roller coasters, the crazy ones. 
Um, sometimes we, we do it by trying to travel. You know, we'll try and see the, the most of Australia that we can. We'll try and see the most of the world. But you know what the problem is with all these things? We actually don't feel more alive. Because when we do the things or we travel to the destinations, when we get there, it's just us again. We keep chasing that we don't feel more alive. But Jesus says, come to me for life, eternal life. Don't settle for anything other than what I can give you. Uh, Jesus doesn't just offer life, though. Uh, it's not like he's holding out a magic pill for you to take, like in the movie The Matrix. I, I hope I'm not so old that people haven't seen the movie The Matrix. Uh, in the movie The Matrix, there's a scene where the main character, Neo, uh, Keanu Reeves, uh, is offered a choice by another main character whose name is Morpheus, and the choice is two pills. There's a blue pill where he can just ignore what he's found out. He can go back to bed. But there's also a red pill that's going to wake him up. And this is how that story unfolds. Morpheus says to Neo, this is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed, you believe what, whatever you want to. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Jesus isn't doing that. He's not doing that. He's not offering you a pill. He's not just uh, holding out the red pill that's going to wake you up and have life. Jesus says, actually, I am life. John, 16, verse 6 says, uh, John 14, verse 6 says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And John 3, 16, of course, says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes will not perish but have life eternal. So in Jesus is life. He doesn't just offer it. He is life. And life is found in him because he defeated the opposite of life. He defeated death. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they chose death. And death came into the world physically and spiritually. And in that moment, the battle of life and death began. But when Jesus comes, the Bible talks about him as the second Adam. He goes into the garden filled with tears of blood. He goes into a garden filled with tears of blood. He's tempted and he says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is the faithful Adam. See? He represents redeemed humanity. He represents life. The first Adam is death and the second Adam is life. He goes to the cross and he defeats death. He rises again and he offers us his life because he defeated the opposite of life. In these verses, John is trying to help us to get a sense of how amazing Jesus is. Do you get that sense? Jesus, the word, the, the one who was before creation, the one who loved before creation and the loving relationship he had overflowed into creation, the one who created and the same light and life is available to us in the word. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the word, for the logos, uh, for the person of Jesus Christ who was in the beginning with God, 
who was God, who, who was with God, who always was, who, who created all things, who is the ultimate life and source of life, an eternal life, the light which drives out the darkness. Father, may we see Jesus. May our vision of Jesus from John's Gospel be supreme and may it be enough for us, no matter what we face now and in our future. Please make Jesus great in our lives. We pray this for our sake and your glory. Amen.